FOPMX Network Production. A new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall and Fly Racing. Welcome everybody. It is Industry Seating. I have just gotten back from Oakland. It is Super Bowl Sunday. And man, what a night of racing. Uh, that might have been the best overall night from start to finish of just solid, entertaining battling that I've, uh, that I've ever seen. Um, you always kind of wonder with a track like Oakland, what it's going to give you, uh, a lot of weird conditions we've seen rain and soft dirt, but, uh, man, what a night overall. I want to thank our sponsors for bringing this podcast to you. Uh, Pirelli tires, Blenzol oils, uh, fly racing and plum Creek funding is a new sponsor. I want to give a shout out to them. Zach Morris over there. Um, really excited to keep expanding and growing and learning with this podcast. And seriously, all the feedback that you guys have been sending me to pretty humbling, man. I, like I said, at the beginning of this thing, I just wanted to have fun with it. I didn't have grand expectations and I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty realistic about my limitations in this space, but as long as I'm having fun with it and everyone doesn't hate it, then, you know, that's a win for me. So I really, really appreciate all the kind words and I'm hoping to just continue to get better and continue to talk about racing. And, and like I said, from the beginning, I'm a big podcast guy myself. I listen all the time. So I know how important it is to have content to, uh, to keep you busy during those, during those work hours or commutes or whatever, you know, what have you. So without further ado, uh, yeah, Oakland, 250 class, great racing. And really it's kind of been that way week in and week out. Um, you never really know what to expect this weekend was, uh, yeah, more drama, obviously the same storylines continue with, you know, Dylan Fernandez getting booed again, which listen, I, I don't think it was really needed this time or it wasn't needed the first time, but it, it wasn't appropriate this time. Uh, say what you want about Anaheim too. I'm not going to really kind of, I'm not going to try to squash those boos. It was a pretty silly move he made at Anaheim too. But this one, like this one wasn't a big deal. Like, you know, Forkner kind of, I think it spooked Forkner a little bit and he shot off the track. But you know, if, if we can't have block passing in our sport, I think the fans are really going to be unhappy with how that looks. So, you know, it wasn't a bad move this week. If it, if the Anaheim two of, you know, incident with Craig had never happened, I don't think anybody even mentions the block pass on Forkner this weekend. So obviously Forkner was on a different level this weekend. And for those of you who weren't there or didn't get to watch uh, race day live, you know, they do a great job of showing the the qualifying practices there. You didn't really get to witness Ferrandis throughout the day. And uh, it was a talking point that we had on, you know, the pulp shows and fly racing radio throughout the day that just Ferrandis looked like the best guy in the class by far all day long. And I think that was a byproduct of the track. Uh, he's always been a rider that seems to excel when the conditions get worse. And yeah, the track was really difficult to ride and it didn't seem to phase him. Uh, he was putting in the fastest qualifying laps in the afternoon repeatedly, just over and over. And, and I don't want to say effortless because they're always trying hard, but it didn't seem like it was, 
you know, he wasn't riding over his head or he wasn't really putting in some sort of effort you didn't think he could replicate. And that's really where I see the other guys, you know, the laps that Forkner puts in at times, especially last season. And he got himself in trouble, obviously, you know, taking himself out of the series and costing himself probably half a million bucks or so at Nashville last year. Uh, But those laps he puts in, I know they aren't sustainable. Uh, They're way past his comfort zone. And that's where you see the big mistakes come in. And that's why you see the crashes, especially last year in those qualifying sessions, is that's just not something he can sustain or really, you know, hope to maintain throughout a night. Uh, and that was the difference for Fernandez. He just looked like his his speed was better than everybody else without really riding on the edge. And then in the main event, you watch him and, and he kind of bided his time. And to me, that really just spelled confidence. Uh, I don't think he really felt any sense of urgency. He was kind of hanging out behind Forkner you know, watching the, the seconds tick off. And, you know, if it, if it had been less time, I think he could have forced the issue earlier. But I don't think he really felt that Forkner had the pace to cause, you know, or to pose a real threat. Of course, Forkner's a great rider. And, yeah, Forkner can win races and all that. But on this particular night and this particular track, I just think Ferrandez felt like he had these guys somewhat covered and could could take his time and didn't have to press the issue like he did at Anaheim too. So, you know, maybe there was a little bit of learning there. Um, Steve Mathis and I and Randy Richardson and, and uh, one of my coworkers, Cameron, all shared a car ride with David Villeman on the way to the track Saturday morning. And uh, so maybe that's a little bit of DV, you know, sharing his wisdom and kind of telling him, hey, like, you don't have to win the race, you know, in the first five minutes of it. You have 15 minutes plus one lap to get this done. And especially when there's only a couple guys in front of you, you know, wisdom is, uh, you know, patience and wisdom are a virtue when it comes to the sport, especially when you, you know, presume to be the best guy, you know, in the 450 class, I would argue sometimes you, you have to press the issue a little bit. If you're, you know, a little bit further back, you don't have time because the the field is so deep and, and you've got to get to the front or the, the elites will be gone by the time you even get there. But in this particular class, in this particular year and series, I think Ferrandis showed a little bit more patience and, and the reason for that is he, he's able to. So great job by Ferrandis. Grabbed the points lead from Justin Cooper. Uh, Cooper had to go to the LCQ. But, uh, yeah, I, to me, this is still anybody's series. Um, it's only a 10-point gap from first to third. I think Forkner is still very much in this. He's going to have to win some races. You know, I, I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. But if we've seen anything out of this class so far, it's that it's pretty chaotic there doesn't seem to be any predictability in it, and guys are are prone to mistakes, you know, week in and week out. So who will make the least mistakes, and who can kind of right the ship a little bit long term? You know, we, we have another race coming up next weekend in San Diego, and then there's a little bit of a break. So I think this, this San Diego race is going to be key because if Ferrandis can get another win— he can extend that points lead and depending on what Forkner and Cooper do, he can really drive home a message going into this break about, you know, who's the man in the series and, and really change, or I wouldn't say change the narrative, but really leave his stamp on uh, where they're at, you know, and conversely for Forkner and Justin Cooper, they need to go in and change that narrative. You know, Justin Cooper has a very, I don't say easy opportunity, but if he wins a race, he's going to retain the, or grab that points lead back, right? That's just basic math. So the, the goal is very simple for Justin Cooper. Forkner, really, you know, every single week right now, 
I think your singular and sole goal should be to beat the two star racing Yamahas. If you're ahead of Ferrandis and Justin Cooper when the checkers fly, who cares? doesn't matter what place you're in. Just beat those two guys. And yeah, that sounds simple, but obviously those two guys have been riding very well. And that's going to be a difficult task, but it is, uh, it's one that's right in front of you. And with the amount of races that are left, you know, he controls his own destiny. You know, all he's got to do is go out and, and get it done. So we'll see how it plays out, but it's pretty clear that those three are easily separated. Like they're gone as far as points wise and, and really just pace wise too. It seems like those are the three and then it's kind of a fight between everybody else. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to Luke Clout. I thought he rode tremendously well all night. He obviously wears fly racing, but it wasn't even really about that. I just, I liked what I saw from him. Uh, he was resilient. He fought back, whether it was Brandon Hartraft or, uh, you know, whoever was in the mix with him, uh, Justin Cooper in the heat race, he was, he was there, right? He was a, a true contender as far as a top five guy. And he wasn't giving those guys an inch which I think says something about his confidence and where he feels like he should be in this series. And, uh, I would add a note to that is, is that's a, such a huge component of especially 250 class racing for these kids is their confidence level. And do they feel like they truly belong? And if so, where do they belong? Right. In the pecking order in this, um, you know, the, the rundown of who's who, I guess. And, and, you're all trying to battle for dominance and supremacy. And there's all that, you know, um, testosterone going, but everybody's kind of looking at each other on track walk and winding up. Like, am I better than that guy? Am I, uh, am I a third place guy? Am I a seventh place guy? And, uh, it can go both ways, right? It can, it can really work to your advantage. If you get the ball rolling or you lose that confidence, it can really haunt you. And every time someone's behind you, you just wait for the other shoe to drop and you think that they're going to pass you no matter what. So impressive stuff from clout. He's, uh, he's obviously only in his what fourth supercross here. Maybe he raced a few in another year, but not that I would know of. So I guess fifth race. Um, but it was a noticeable difference from him. He didn't look sketchy. I didn't see big mistakes, all the things that he was doing at the first, the first rounds. Uh, so great job by him. Oldenburg deserves some credit too. He led the heat race for a long time. Alex Martin grabbed a whole shot. That was pretty cool. You know, the, I think the Suzuki guys take a lot of heat. Um, you know, JGR guys being the the lead of that Suzuki effort, they take heat for, you know, people think that their bike's not good enough or whatever, but Alex Martin obviously showed that it's good enough to, to whole shot a 250 main event over the vaunted, you know, star Yamahas and, uh, you know, Mitch's obviously really fast Kawasaki. So they're doing something right over there is, is really my point. Hartraft, another uh, decent finish. He, he crashed on the last lap, and, and so it looks a little worse than it was. But he's been, you know, very quietly good this year. He's got some podiums, hasn't got a lot of media coverage, and that's probably our fault. But it's it's tough when you have three guys all battling for a championship to, to spread that love around. So I won't spend a ton of time on the 250s, but we've got a great series going. And in a class where that doesn't always happen, you just see some guys come in and dominate. Uh, that, you know, this 2020 West coast series is, is right there with the 2019 that, you know, since left on the table at Vegas. So we'll see what transpires down the stretch, but we're, we're setting ourselves up nicely for uh, a run through Vegas and uh, salt Lake. So onto the four fifties, um, man, like I said, racing great all night through heat races. Uh, LCQ was pretty boring. 
but uh, yeah, the main event was, I mean, next level, right? You didn't know who was going to win at, at different points. You probably thought that Roxon was going to win. Maybe some people thought Cincerello was going to win. I, I didn't only because he had such a rough week last week and I just thought it would be kind of unlikely that he would bounce back from that and win at Oakland. Uh, but he was right there in the mix, obviously. And then, um, you know, your eventual winner Tomac comes through, but it was just such a great race from start to finish. And then you see Webb's just incredible pass on Roxon in the last corner to kind of keep himself in this championship. And, you know, maybe it's, it's only two points on the, you know, on the point sheet, but as far as momentum and confidence and how this is going to play out moving forward, it was really, really important for Webb to get by rocks in there. It's a four point swing when you really look at it as far as moving forward or moving backwards. So, uh, yeah, for Roxon, you come off this, this high of leaving Glendale and I don't want to say it's a low leaving Oakland because he, you know, he's still on the podium, still third place, no big deal. But he, he absolutely had a chance to get on a run here, right? He, he could have won uh, Oakland, I want to say easily, but he certainly had every opportunity to. He led the first lap. He led uh, you know most of the race and uh, just didn't quite have enough in the last few laps to, to hold off a hard-charging Tomac. But, hey, held on to the points lead. The points lead did shrink. have to mention that. It's, uh, it's only down to three points now, so... I kind of predicted this and, and trust me, I don't know what I'm talking about half the time, but I did think that this track and this traction would favor Tomac. You know, when the, when the track gets kind of nasty, he, you know, his outdoor prowess, he's won three outdoor championships in a row on a 450. He seems like he can up his aggression level where everybody else has to respect the track maybe a little bit more in that scenario. And, uh, I just thought it would allow him to be aggressive with, you know, the positive traction everywhere. So he did it. He made me look smart. Um, you know, and conversely, I look at Roxon and then on a perfect track where there's no bumps and no lines and, and, you know, anything like that. I think Roxon is one of the best riders I've ever seen in that scenario. Technically sound. I'd put Cincerillo in there too. Uh, but they're, they're kind of show ponies in that way. And I, that sounds negative, but it's not at all. It's just, it's more a testament to how beautiful their riding style is. And I, I watched them ride and I'm like, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words, both in this podcast and when I watch them ride, because I don't understand how they do the things they're doing. I don't understand how they can be that smooth on their entrance to corners and all the way through. I don't know how they can carry that much speed through a rhythm section. Uh, there's just so many things going on when I watch them ride that are subtle, but, you know, I did this at a fairly high level for a very long time, and I, I got to watch the best every day. Chad Reed and Tim Ferry and not really so much Stu, but I did practice with Carmichael several times. So I know what it's supposed to look like. And when I watch those guys, on when things are perfect, the track's perfect, uh, I don't know how much better you can do it than they do it. So anyway, as the track broke down, I thought that would be kind of a negative for them, and, and it turned out that way. They just weren't able to keep up that that same, um, just remarkable ability to be the fastest guy. And, and that's kind of where Tomac shines on that same note. I felt Webb would really benefit from that too. Uh, he came through for me in the end. I thought it might be an opportunity for Webb to get his first win, but he did get a second. And, uh, yeah, so that's another, uh, great finish for him. The one thing for Webb is he's 18 points down. So, you know, the time is now for him. 
he's got to rack up some wins and we'll, we'll get into that more in the power ranking, but that's where I was talking about that momentum swing is he's got to make it happen now because 18 points is a lot when you're talking about Tomac and Roxon, and you're going to have to beat both of those guys consistently that often. Uh, That's a pretty tall task. So uh, anyway, 450 race was just, just phenomenal. I, I I felt very fortunate that we got such great racing and uh, yeah, kudos to Tomac. He wraps up his best January ever on a 450 and it's what kind of we've all been waiting for. You know, I've, I've written about it several times. I've talked about it on a lot of Steve shows is that January has been such just the, the thorn in his side to where he's got to dig himself out of this massive hole every year that it's, it's almost unrealistic. You know, you, you rack up these mediocre finishes in January and then you're like, okay, it's time to get going and start winning some races. And you're, you're 20 or 30 points down. And, uh, yeah, that kind of doesn't matter if you win races at that point, if you, if you have a, a consistent competitor, you're going against a la Ryan Dungey or Cooper Webb last year, you're not going to make up that many points. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, I like Tomac's chances, uh, where he's at. I still think Cooper Webb has a shot at this thing, but he's going to have to get on a run and win some races. He won a lot of races last year. What? Seven races last year. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but something like that. And, uh, yeah, he's, you know, we're, we're a few races in here and he hasn't won anything and really hasn't been close to winning yet per se. So, um, let's get into some power ranking stuff. It's super bowl Sunday and I'd be lying if I said I'd, I wasn't, uh, on my way to a, a super bowl gathering here in a little bit, but I wanted to get this podcast out to you guys. Uh, so you could listen to me and, and disagree with me and, and tell me I'm wrong and all that good stuff. Power ranking number 10. I have Zach Osborne. And I don't know if he keeps this up. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have him in my top 10. Um, listen, he's a great rider. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. I really, really like Zach Osborne. I think he is a great human being. I like everything he stands for on and off the bike. Uh, just morally, um, his, his approach to things, you know, his psyche wise and how he, views his viewpoint, I guess is what I'm looking for on a lot of issues. We, we are in agreement, but you know, I guess it was the sickness last night and he was coughing, but that was not a good main event for Zacho. And, uh, I'm sure he realizes that, uh, he was in the battle, you know, in that battle for a top five. And then he faded all the way back to 11th, which crushed my fantasy team. Uh, I really needed him to stay ahead of Malcolm Stewart. And he had such a huge gap over, over Mookie and had nothing like he just he just let that gap of just be eviscerated by Mookie and in just a couple of laps so I don't know what was going on inside Zach's helmet but it was not good uh normal circumstances that should have been an easy 10th at worst yeah and he got 11th and uh I'm just gonna chalk it up to being sick and move on because I don't know what else it could have possibly been um I guess arm pump is a possibility Beyond that, I, I'm, I'm clueless. So we'll just move on, but uh, hopefully better days are ahead for, for old Zacho. I have Brayton in ninth. Uh, tough race for Brayton, 13th in the main event. But really, for me, if, if I look at a track and conditions where I think Brayton's going to be at his best, I'm not going to immediately go to Oakland. And maybe that's not fair. You know, you look at Brayton, he won Daytona, the most brutal of all of these races. So... Maybe that's just a, a, a wrong imperception on my part, but I don't, that's just how I see it. I think Brayton is more, 
uh, like a rock center Cincerillo, he's going to go fast on a, a gnarly, technically challenging uh, jump-filled track where you've got to bust out huge rhythms and big, huge whoops where you've got to be just perfect. That was in Oakland. Um, there were big rhythm sections, but they were just nasty, and, and most people were doing kind of the same thing, and the whoops were you know, kind of down to one rut through the middle. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what went on with, with Justin's race. Maybe there was more to it, but it uh, it certainly wasn't what he has been doing all season so far. You know, he wasn't running around inside the top 10 really at any point. Uh, so, yeah, maybe just an off night, but I'm sure he'll rebound and uh, get back to it at, at San Diego. Moving up to number eight, I have Mookie. And, yeah, okay, you know, 10th place isn't great on paper, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he definitely caught Zacho and uh, – left him. I mean, it wasn't even really a a battle. Um, I will say though, the one thing with Mookie, I haven't, I still haven't seen, you know, heat race Mookie. And I I have to temper that because obviously that, that pass at St. Louis that we always go back to and the whoops was just mind boggling, but I haven't seen him up front looking to win something and just looking so frisky that, you know, has people out of their seats. And that's really what Mookie has been known for. That's what he's made a name, you know, of himself, you know, forget about his brother, right? That's always what you're going to think of. But I'm talking about Mookie, him, his own, his own way of racing and the things that people love about him. I just haven't seen a lot of that. So I've made mention a couple times that I don't know if that's on purpose, right? Maybe he's trying to uh, not take so many chances and add some longevity into his game, which I don't, I don't disagree with that approach, but at the same time, you've got to find a balance. You know, it's finding, um, a happy medium between the aggression and really, really upping the pace and getting on the level of the top guys, but then not tossing it away and having these huge crashes too. So, I don't know the answer. I obviously did this sport for a very long time and I could never do that. I couldn't get in. You know, I had the longevity down. I raced a lot of races, but I could never find the speed. So it's not like I have any answers. It's just, uh, you know, on an observation, observational level, that's just what I see is where he's missing just that extra one or 2% that we we've come to know and love from Mookie. So we'll see what happens, but that's just what I've seen. I have Blake Baggett at seven. And you want to talk about what it could have, should have, um, kind of the same thing from Glendale, to be honest, but Blake was on it all day. Uh, he was your fastest qualifier in the, in the first qualifying session. And, you know, and then that heat race, if you watched on TV, you saw how good he was. He busted out that three, three before anybody else. And he was just feeling it. You know, you can just tell when somebody's, they've got their mojo and, and all they need to do is put themselves in a good position. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately he did not do that. So when I went back to the Rocky Mountain KTM truck after the race, that was literally the only thing I said to, uh, the team owner Forrest Butler was, yep, starts will kill you. You know, they can, uh, they can really help your night or they can absolutely destroy your night. And that's what they did. That's what they did for Blake. Again, St. Louis was kind of the same, but it's just missed opportunities, man. You don't get, I guess, you know, maybe for Tomac you do, but you don't, for most people, you don't get just that many chances where you have the pace to go win or podium and Blake absolutely had it. You'll never convince me. Otherwise I watched him ride all day and all night. And I was actually texting my buddies before, uh, he even put the best time up in that second qualifying session that he looked great. I could just see it in his riding. I could see the the pep in his step as we would say. 
And then, yeah, you start back there and nothing you can do about it. So I'm sure they'll be working on that, but it's, it's a bummer if you're a Blake Baggett fan to, uh, to feel like you certainly left some points on the table there. Barsha I have at six, and unfortunately he had to go to the LCQ, which gave him a bad gate pick in the main. So you kind of wonder what could have been for Barsha. But uh, he would probably hate me for saying this, but I really think this is where you're going to see Barsha kind of the rest of the season, and I, I've mentioned that already this year. But I think the first race, the first place in the, the runner-up at the second round were – I think they were a little bit unrealistic. And – he could tell me I'm a moron because he went out and earned those positions and I would nod my head and agree with him. But I just thought as the series went on, that would be very difficult for him to sustain. I just thought he was, he was, uh, I don't know the right analogy here, but, um, maybe punching above his weight a little bit. I just didn't think he was going to continue to be first and second and and just a podium guy all year long. I, I didn't see that coming. I think where he's at now is where you're going to see more of, you know, just behind Anderson and Cincerillo. But in that mix, you know, four, five, six, week in and week out, I think is probably what we'll see from from Barsha. Maybe he sneaks in a podium. That would not shock me. I just don't think it's going to be the norm. So all you Barsha fans, don't hate me. I don't. It, it's not like I have a, a vested interest in, in this or anything. I'm just trying to share my insight and, uh, yeah, tell you what I think. Uh, moving on to top five. I have Anderson at five and I wrestled with putting Anderson at four or five. Um, I ended up putting him at five just because I think he, uh, has a little bit of a speed disadvantage to our number four rider, but he's been, he's been quietly very good, similar to Hartraft. you know, his results, he's got podiums, right? Similarly to, to Hartraft too, but I haven't seen a race yet where I thought Anderson was going to win. Um, the overall, anyway, that third final main event at Glendale, maybe he would have before the red flag. But a 21-minute main event, I have not felt like Anderson was in the mix to win yet. So that's where I gave AC the nod because he has certainly been in that mix to win. Uh, but still a good season from Anderson. I mean, he's in this points battle. Uh, he's not that far out of it. You know, if things go his way, he could make me eat my words for sure. But I do think, I do absolutely think he's going to have to win several races to do it. Uh, I would say somewhere between three and five races is going to be minimum for him to win this because he's, you see him bounce around that fourth and fifth spot way too often to be a podium or be a title contender without a ton of wins. So we'll see how it goes, but that's just how I see it. If he wants to be the title guy, he's got to win and win now. Number four is who I alluded to. That'd be Adam Cincerillo. I thought he put in a great ride. Nice bounce back from, uh, a horrific crash in Glendale. I doubt he did a lot of riding this week. I think he said he only rode press or no, maybe Thursday. I can't remember what I saw, but he didn't ride much. Uh, you can count on that. Um, typically in that scenario, I've, I've lived through it. I've watched other guys. You go, you try to ride a little bit, you do some starts, which are always, you know, easy, easy on your body. And it's good for timing and good for your reflexes. And, uh, just make sure he could do, you know, he probably did a few laps, He's like, yeah, I'm okay. I can, I can ride. And then he parked it. Um, that's what I would bet happened, but a uh, good ride from him. He was right in the mix battling with Tomac and Roxon. Um, you know, Webb got him and he didn't freak out, which I think is really important. Uh, I want to continue to see that from him as not panic when guys are passing you and like Webb has a little bit more than you do. Don't 
lose your mind and do anything stupid. There are going to be nights where guys are just a little bit better than you. And you've got to, you just got to accept that in this class. And, uh, he's been doing that so far. So kudos to him. Uh, I just don't think he is a guy that he's used to guys being faster than him. He's not used to being passed very often. So that's to me, that's a little bit of a learning curve is just taking the the good with the bad and racking up points and learning and gaining experiences gaining experience as we go. So moving into number three, I have Webb. It's pretty obvious. You could say that his points positioning should not dictate a third place. Uh, I get it. You know, I could certainly understand it. Um, with him, he is in fifth place, right? He's behind both Barsha and Anderson in points. And then Cincerillo is behind both of those guys. So you're probably looking at my power ranking and going, uh, what the hell, dude? Like, how does that work? I don't always look at points because I think, you know, the, the first two races from Barsha really skewed what we're seeing now. You know, I don't think a month ago is really indicative of the same situation we have now. Uh, so I, this is a week to week thing. I do factor in past results, but it's, I'm very, uh, biased on recency when it comes to this, this podcast. And, uh, so yeah, that's my explanation for it. I think Webb is, is on the come he's surging. And so I have him at three, uh, but yeah, I can't put him ahead of Roxon. Don't be silly. Um, you know, Roxon's right still with the points lead. But I do, I do have Roxon at two. Uh, I, I did put uh, the final guy ahead of him, which we'll get to. But you know, Roxon is great. Don't get me wrong. Fantastic effort from him. But he did allow Webb to get him in the last corner. He did give Eli Tomac five points you know, on Saturday night, which isn't, it's, that's not a small number, right? Five points a weekend is a, is that will add up very quickly. So, you know, I, I think Kenny's okay. He said he got a, a foot stinger from where uh web hit him. I think he's fine. Still has a red plate, you know, no, no reason to panic or anything. Uh, but I do think Tomac has some momentum right now. I, I think this, but I, yeah. And I'm rambling a little bit there, but I, I think it's going to go back and forth a little bit, right? Because everybody would say that Roxon left Glendale with the momentum pendulum swinging his way. Well, I think Tomac did a great job of changing that narrative and getting it swinging back his way. And that's going to be a week to week thing because Webb is certainly in the mix. He's your reigning champion, but I think most people would tell you that those are your, your, you know, alphas right now are Roxon and, uh, and Tomac and it's up to Webb to change, you know, get back in the points. But right now, uh, those two back and forth is what I see. And I keep, I keep, uh, bringing up Webb as a championship contender on these other shows. And I, I really do believe that the one thing with Webb though, he's got to win. He's got to beat both of these two at the top of the power ranking and, and rack some wins up. Because if you look at last season, there wasn't really any time where he was 18 points down to those two, specifically those two. Uh, they are everybody's biggest worry, you know, in this series. Those two riders right there, Roxanne and Tomac, would be on the top of everybody's list as far as worry. So he's got to win. He's got to get back into that mode of last year where he's ripping hole shots and he's controlling the race. And that's what Roxanne's doing right now is he's controlling the race from the front. Last year, that was Cooper Webb you know, he had seven hole shots last year. So he was dictating the pace. He was dictating the flow. 
and he could manage the, you know, who was back. Like if, if Roxon was in fifth and Tomac got a bad start, he, he could totally control the race from the front. And that's what, that's honestly what Roxon tried to do last night. He tried to just hold those guys back there, similar to what he did at Glendale. And unfortunately for him, Tomac just had too much, he had too much pace uh, when the track started getting worse. So he couldn't do it. He just could not execute the same game plan as he had at Glendale. Um, so yeah, it was a valiant effort. Uh, Tomac just had a little bit more. And if you look at the number of races Tomac's won over the, the last few years, I think you can just come to expect that. You know, I don't know how many more wins he's going to get, but history would tell us it's going to be several. Uh, and there's just going to be those nights where if you're Roxon, you just have to take a deep breath and swallow it and say, yeah, man, it's just, there are going to be nights like this where, you know, Eli is the best guy and I'm super close, but maybe I'm going to, he's going to have to win this one and I'm going to have to take second or third and, and rack some points up. What you're hoping for in that scenario, if you're Kenny or Cooper Webb is that Eli has one of his, uh, you know, patented weird nights where he gives a bunch of points back and he really hasn't done that yet. I mean, the closest he's been was a one, but he's, he's been able to avoid the, the weird race so far, the Arlington of 2019, where he gets 12th for just no conceivable reason. Um, so yeah, that's really what this title will come down to for me. Can Eli, has he figured out how to remove that from his game? If that's removed, he's your champ. I'll, I'll just put it out there. Uh, I think he's too good and he'll win too many races to not be the champion. If he can, if he can take those just strange races out, the the races where he just gives back 15 points. Right. So the, the onus onus is on the other guys. They're going to have to win because if they get the feeling that, that those points, big points nights aren't coming back to them. Now they've got to press a little bit. Now they've got to take the race to Tomac and say, okay, if you're going to put the pressure on, then I'm just going to have to go out and beat you straight up. That's where, uh, you know, the rubber meets the road. And I hate using stupid analogies like that, or, um, nah, just cliches, I guess would be a better word, but that's really what it comes down to. You know, it, it, they're all kind of feeling each other out week in and week out. And listen, they know the they know the tendencies of these guys better than anybody else. They're the ones out there in the midst of it. So if you don't think that Kenny knows that Eli is, is prone to having an off night and giving a bunch of points back, you'd be crazy, right? Um, they also, you know, Kenny would also know that if he can keep the, you know, keep Cooper Webb from the front at the beginning of the race, his chances are very good. You know, Cooper is not, he, he did it a few times last year. So I have to be a little careful there, but I don't see Cooper Webb coming from eighth or 10th and winning a lot of races. Can he get to the podium? Sure. But Cooper, his most lethal strategy and MO is to get out front and just manage the race. He's, he's very smart. He's, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes and he kind of looks around and takes the temperature of the race as it's going. So Kenny's doing a great job of getting the starts and, and he's almost writing the same script that, uh, that Cooper Webb executed last year. So we'll see how that plays out down the stretch, but it's just w- kind of what I've seen. And this is all week to week. These guys are, they're, you know, making decisions and strategy and stuff on the fly. You know, it's, it's not, and I, I think casual fans may think it's more, um, they're just winging it, right? The gate drops and they just go as fast as they can every lap and, and whatever happens happens. And they look up and see what place they got at the end. 
that's not, that's not really what's happening. Uh, yes, they are definitely riding as hard as they can, but you would be surprised, especially in a 21 minute main event, how much time you have to think about what's going on. Uh, if you're not in the heat of battle, your mind starts to drift at times. It can drift and think about other things like where, where is so-and-so what's the points? Um, you know, and you really try to block all that out and stay focused on task, but it happens. I think every, all those guys would admit that at, at times those thoughts creep in. So they're making adjustments on the fly and they're gauging their risk and effort level off of that stuff. Right. And, um, you know, Webb, when he sees, he starts to reel in Ken Roxon, he feeds off that, that confidence and momentum. And it's just, you know, it's it, like the ball starts rolling downhill and for Roxon, it's the exact opposite is like, Oh no, here he comes, you know, and it's really hard to, to fight the negative thoughts and, and stay positive in that scenario. So there's so many emotions and, um, thought processes that go on for these guys in a race like that. Uh, I just think that's a very under, uh, analyzed and, and, a a scenario that's not talked about a lot because there probably aren't a, enough guys that are qualified to know, you know, obviously Ricky Carmichael could, uh, I think Chad Reed did some TV this weekend. He certainly could, but, um, you know, when you have commentators that haven't done it at a high level like that, and, and I'm not even saying I have, uh, to their level, but I've certainly raced a lot of main events. I think I raced 131, 450 main events. So I've certainly got enough time out there to know how, how, what's running through your mind at any, any given time. So, um, just cool stuff to talk about something a little different. I would be remiss if I did not bring up Koga this weekend in the 250 main event. Holy crap. I don't think I've ever been that nervous in my whole life is that 250 heat race that he got in. And it was a miracle folks. The amount of times that he escaped certain day, you know, just certain, I don't want to say death, but certain disaster. And you're like, how are these guys not passing him? That guy crashes. Uh, it just, every potential pass just went wrong. Carnell goes down in the last turn. Camparisi crashes. It's just like everything that can possibly happen to go right for Koga to get in after weeks of it going wrong happened. And there was just an outburst of yells in the, in the press box <laughs> and everybody's probably wondering what the hell they're yelling about, but it was all about Koga. And, uh, that's just a great thing about fantasy. It makes seemingly irrelevant things so important and so entertaining. So yeah, I had to bring that up. I had a really good time just, uh, interacting and, and conversing with people on Twitter and back and forth. And, and it was really, really exciting. And I had a great time with that. So wanted to bring that up sponsor wise. Um, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, but, uh, Pirelli tires, who do you think got the whole shot this weekend in the 250 main event? That's right. Alex Martin on a Pirelli tire. And it's funny because one of my friends, um, actually texted in one of our group texts and said, man, those Pirellis are good in conditions like this. And he's right on loose conditions where there's ample traction. I would, I would be hard pressed to think of a better tire than a Pirelli front and rear. And I, I've mentioned that on these podcasts before, so this isn't news, but I think that's, you know, a big part of that is they have so much experience with it. You know, they win everything in Europe pretty much. They sponsor all the, all the big dogs over there, but straight line traction on a track like Oakland, good luck beating a Pirelli. So congrats to them on, uh, on that whole shot. 
Blenzol Oils, they have their website up, blenzol.com. They have their Instagram, at Blenzol. Uh, they're offering 10% off on cases of oil, so that's exciting. Uh, please check them out. It's a, it's a company with a lot of heritage and a lot of history, and they're going to get back into this thing slowly but surely. You can also buy Blenzol at WPS Authorized Dealers, uh, so that, that makes it a nice little tie-in for me. Uh, but really cool company. Uh, David and those guys over there, uh, I, I predict big things for them. So cool to have them back. Uh, fly racing, as you know, um, man, I, yeah, it's literally everything I do and care about and, um, worry about. So thanks to fly racing. We have some really cool stuff coming out for San Diego, some LE gear. So please check that out. Uh, you'll probably see a ton. We have some pretty cool projects. I really can't, I can't share and, you know, ruin it right now, but I think you're going to see some pretty funny stuff come out that I'm involved with on, uh, on Friday on our social media. So look for that. I'm excited to, I think we're going to film that Tuesday. So that'll be good stuff. Um, but yeah, exciting race, uh, for San Diego and then, uh, Plum Creek funding, uh, Plum Creek funding. Um, Zach Morris is a buddy of mine. Uh, you know, he's in Colorado, Mortgage-wise, he's helped me a ton. A lot of insight to share. You know, if, if looking to refinance, looking to buy a new house, um, those are your guys. I, I really think they can they can help you. You know, obviously the the housing market's doing really well right now, and a lot of you know the economy's doing really well. So a lot of people are looking to buy. This is a good time for it. Uh, they are expanding. I, I think they're looking to get licensed in more States as we speak. So, um, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'll be happy to connect you with Zach. If you're, you know, he's a moto guy, which is the coolest part. So I think you can relate to that as with that. And you know, you know, motocross people are good people. So he's, if nothing else, just to get you advice and steer you in the right direction on uh, what you're looking at, because trust me, I've bought a few houses in my day and trying to sort out which loan is the best and which, what's the route best route for you and, and your income level is, is key. So, um, I'm happy to help there anyhow, any way I can with, uh, with Plum Creek. So anyway, that's been industry seating for this week. Uh, short and sweet. This is the shortest one I think, but, uh, Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not going to apologize for it, but what a race, man. I'm, I'm super stoked for San Diego. It's one of the best events on the calendar in my opinion. And uh, we've got two great series going on to, uh, to keep us entertained. So anyway, I will talk to you guys next week. See ya.